The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, listeners. Welcome to this week's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm recording today's show on a whipping, windy Groundhog Day in the Pacific Northwest. I'm quite sure there's no shadow to be seen. And if I were Bill Murray, this would be a cold weather day I wouldn't want to repeat for all eternity. Fortunately, you're listening to this on February 9th, which means we've emerged into the middle of February and can set our sights squarely on the last semester of the school year. Oof. We got a terrific show set up for you today. As always, I'll be welcoming one of my finance colleagues to the conversation to discuss dollars with cents. Shannon Vasconcelos is today's expert, and we'll be diving into the turbulent waters of financial aid appeals. In our second segment, Karen Spencer will be back to talk through out-of-state college visits. Planning a trip for the coming spring break? You won't want to miss this segment. But first, we'd like to start the show today by considering a bigger question, and perhaps an unusual topic for a show called Getting In. That question is, what if my son or daughter isn't ready for college? What then? To try and answer this question, I'd like to welcome my colleague, Kenan Dick, former admissions officer at Swarthmore College and Johnson State University. Welcome to the show, Kenan. Thank you very much, Ian. Good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is, I think, a really great conversation to have, and I think an important one, because often students might feel like they're excluded from talking about next steps if they're not planning to go to college. And I think a lot of parents worry if they don't necessarily think that college is the right next step for their students. And I want to start just with a sense of of timeline. Um, When do you think that parents can start to get an idea about their students' college readiness? Um, And at what point do you think they should start considering alternative options after high school concludes? That's a really good question, and I think the answer to that question is that deep in their hearts, parents kind of may have an inkling that this might be the case, and that actually might start, that thought process might start rather early on. And the way I tend to approach this when, um, when I'm talking with families is if, if they think that that's a possibility, then have those conversations with a son or daughter about, you know, some of those alternative pathways that not everyone is right to go straight from graduation from high school right into their freshman year of their bachelor's degree or four-year college. So there are alternate pathways. There are ways that you can kind of get your feet wet through a community college and, and test the waters there. Maybe you want to do a gap year, which is becoming increasingly popular. Uh, President, uh, or past President Obama's daughter did just that. So there's lots of examples of ways that you can find different ways to get to that same end point. 
And I think that, you know, a lot of what I draw upon in terms of this experience is, is my experience with my own uh, kids. And, you know, I have three kids, two of which are in college at the moment. And we're very different in the process of, of going to college and my thoughts on their readiness. And given, you know, what we do for a living, you would think that I would be pretty much spot on in, in being able to assess that. <laughs> and yeah. my experience as a parent runs counter to that. So, so, yeah, so what, are some of the, uh, what are some of the indicators that, that you might look for that might suggest a student isn't, isn't ready for college? I mean, what are some of the things that you saw with your own kids? And this is what, what kind of makes it difficult, and I think this is why parents really struggle with this. Um, yeah. And one of the, the questions that you asked um, offline was, you know, is, what's the difference between not right for college and not yet right for college? And I think right. that, that sometimes that weaves its, uh, that question weaves into this process. And just to kind of give a quick example, my, my daughter, um, who is a, a freshman in college right now, I mean, if I had to bet on who would have a higher GPA, my son or my daughter, I would have bet on my son. He was the kind of kid where school just kind of came easily to him. Um, mm-hmm. He didn't really, he was in, right around the top um, 10% of his class, didn't really break a sweat in even some of the most difficult courses that the high school had to offer. And yet when he went to college, he really struggled. He didn't really feel a direction. He wasn't connected to it. Um, you know, he found himself, you know, skipping classes and wasn't quite sure what he was doing there and had some kind of existential struggles. And my daughter, who really did struggle in high school quite a bit, um, and, you know, especially AP U.S. history, I tell the story a lot, that was a real tough class for her. And she had the highest GPA of anybody in our family as her uh, freshman in college. So... Uh. It's really difficult to assess that and, and figure out what those um, indicators are and with any kind of reliability. At least that's been my experience. But I is, think is, one of the things that, that the data kind of shows us and that in hindsight is part of what um, I could have recognized as part of those differences is that sense of resilience and grit and being able to take a hard knock like her experience with AP U.S. history, and recover and figure out how am I going to beat this class? How am I going to figure out how I can study and be successful here? And she did that. Um, whereas my older son never had that experience, never had a class that was really difficult. And so when he hit those classes in college, he didn't quite know how to react. So I think that grit and resilience can certainly be one of the indicators that you could look for as readiness for that college environment. Gotcha. And so that is, I mean, I often talk to parents about strategic failures, especially early on in the high school experience, that sometimes, you know, students want to shy away from more challenging courses because they might get a lower grade than they're used to, or because the teacher is going to be hard. And I tell them that even if they take those classes and they find that they're not successful, with those classes in the way that they'd like to be, there's value in that lack of success because they have to figure out how to overcome it the next semester Mm -hmm. or the next year, right? And that is really good. doesn't seem this way, but it's really good preparation for college. Usually students just look at the grade and say, oh man, I've just closed some doors on places I'd like to go because of my GPA. But we sort of look at it as an opportunity to build in terms of the learning experience. Um, exactly. What about, I mean, we're talking uh, sort of about students who may not be ready for college at this point. What about students that, 
you know, they're they're really struggling academically. Um, they haven't done sort of the things that we've talked about on this show uh, with respect to preparing a full holistic application for for admission to different schools. Um, mm-hmm. What might a student do if they're kind of sitting there in the fall of their senior year, or even now, maybe in February, and they're finding that they're not going to be competitive for the schools that a lot of their friends are going to? How would you advise they sort of approach this whole process and think about what the next couple of years should look like? Great question. Um, my sense of it is, is this, that, you know, as we were talking about earlier, there's, there's many different pathways to get to what many parents feel is, is kind of an important milestone, which is to, to get to the bachelor's degree. And there's a lot of statistical reasons why that, that's important, you know, whether it's overall income, return on investment, a number of reasons why, um, or just even protection against unemployment. There's a lot of value in that bachelor's degree. So there's ways that, that students can get there that they might not be thinking about because they tend to be a little bit less traditional. So students can start with a two-year program. And a lot of students will go to the community college for the first two years, get their associate's degree, and then transfer that to either their local state school or uh, to a private institution that they were originally targeting while they were in high school. And that's a much more common pathway than it was when, you know, when I was in high school. And so because of articulation agreements, because of the, you know, a common um, kind of pathway that, that um, has been prepared for students through the community colleges and the relationships that they often have with their state institutions, that pathway is a lot easier than it has been in the past. And so students can take that first semester with just two classes, get their feet wet, figure out what college-level work is like and what those expectations are like, and then in the spring jump into a full-time load. So as opposed to a four-year program where you need to take a full-time load in order to get your financial aid, in order to stay on track for your four-year degree, you can do this a little bit more experimentally at the two-year program. Yeah. You know, I've, I've had some conversations with parents where, and we talked about this a little bit offline as well, where maturity is the issue, where, you know, they're not sure that he's actually going to take full advantage of a four-year school if they pay that tuition. And so maybe now is not a good time to send them there. Um, and so they choose community college because community college, as you're saying, is a great path. Um, and there's a little bit more flexibility that's involved. But what are some tips that you might give parents as they help students figure it out at community college to make sure that they are maturing, that they're not just sort of seeing this as an extension of high school where they go to community college classes, they come home at the end of the day, they do their homework, and then they, you know, watch TV or play video games or whatever. How would you sort of advise parents shape that community college experience in a way that increases the maturity of their students? That's a really good question. Um, And to some degree, I don't think that we have control over that. I think students are going to mature at the rate that they mature. Um, and I kind of see my, my oldest son as a, a lesson in that. Um, and it was very interesting that the first two years, he, he was kind of rudderless. And all of a sudden, and it literally felt like it was overnight, he figured it out. And, um, and now he's probably one of the better students in the family, if not the better student in the family. And so he um, he was kind of a lesson to me in that, there may not be a, a timeline to this or a way to encourage, uh, for parents to encourage that process to, to move a little bit faster. But one of the things that they can do is um, if they choose to go through this community college route, 
is really emphasize some of the opportunities that students have to be able to do internships on the side, to be able to use the career services and figure out through some of their um, internships and externships what might be a good um, career path for a student and to try some of that experimentation. And sometimes the the experiments that they go through, and you know, I had a student who was... Um, this was a number of years ago, but was really interested in civil engineering. And then he went out for his first co-op and discovered that that might entail doing cement pours for a bridge foundation at 4 o'clock in the morning and said, this is not for me. I want to do something where I'm in a lab coat in a controlled environment. I don't want to be, you know, out in the weather at 2 o'clock in the morning. So, um, so sometimes those experiences can really be uh, formative and help them understand what those pathways may look like. And some of the negative experiences can also be just as motivational as the positive experiences can be. Right. And and I think that's really important. And even if you have a student that goes to college and is ready for college and graduates on time with that bachelor's degree, if they haven't dealt with any difficulty even in their college years, now they're at the next step, entering the workforce and facing a lot of challenge that might come with that, uh, whether that's reporting to a boss they don't like or not getting the job that they hoped they'd gotten uh, after many different interviews. Um, and mm-hmm. so it sometimes is valuable for students to have those kinds of formative experiences at community college or right out of high school so that they get a little bit of life experience that's going to be valuable as well. Um, And, you know, whether you graduate from college as a 22-year-old or a 25-year-old or a 30-year-old, you can use that degree plus your life experience to leverage really great opportunities, I think. Um, Exactly. uh, How, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges about this conversation is that students feel like they... If they're not going to college, they feel a little bit defeated. Um, you know, mm-hmm. this is something all of my friends are doing. Uh, you know, all they're getting their letters of acceptance in March or, or April. They're deciding where they want to go. And I feel really deflated because my friends are all talking about the next step. Um, what are some of the things that you might tell a student in such a situation so that they still feel like they have ownership over what comes next and they still are in control of, of what follows? That's, I think, probably one of the more difficult questions about this process. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I can certainly empathize with, with that kid. And, you know, when, when I was a senior in high school, I kind of had the same kind of feeling. I, you know, some of my, my friends were going to some of the top colleges in the country, and I felt like I, you know, just didn't go through the process in a way that was going to best position me. So what I actually did was take a, a PG year, a postgraduate year at a, at a prep school, and, um, and essentially repeated my senior year to create better opportunities. And so that's one option that, that students um, can go through. But I think that the, the key for parents um, that, that may be listening is that they have to give the, the student the feeling that it's okay, that whatever pathway that they choose that's right for that student that they have the full support of, of their parents in, in not only that starting point, but the final goal. And, you know, you and I, in, in our experiences with, um, with working with families at all levels of the, of the spectrum, you know, one of the things that we see fairly consistently is parents that have expectations that the students are going to have real difficulty meeting. Right. And I think that that, 
that in addition to, you know, what their peers are experiencing contributes to that sense of, of feeling defeated, as you, as you put it. So I think it's important for parents to, to really feel like they're, um, and really project that idea that this is where you're going to wind up, but if you're 26 when you wind up there, or you're 28 when you wind up there, or 30 even, then, you know, it, it doesn't matter. You took your pathway, and you will be successful in how you get there, and you will find the kinds of success that you need as you get there. And I think that the timeline is going to be really different from one student to the next, and we have to yeah. be okay with that. Yeah, and, you know, I mentioned earlier the concept of strategic failures. I think that when you're in this kind of situation, mm-hmm. you also want to think about strategic victories, right? Celebrating the little accomplishments that students have, whether it's an A in a course for a semester at a community college or getting an internship or any kind of little success that you can uh, latch onto that you can motivate your students with will help them to continue to build on that success. Um, Kenan, it's great to speak with you today. uh, And I really appreciate your coming on the show talking about a a difficult subject, but I think there's a lot of usefulness there. And um, thank you very much for being here. It's been my pleasure. Wonderful. Uh, When we come back, It's all college visits, so don't go away. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back to the show. My next guest is Karen Spencer. Hi, Karen. Hi, Ian. How are you? I, I'm fine. I, I was sort of assumed you need no introduction uh, because you've I been on the show say, so many wow, times. That's all, it's like I'm Cher or Madonna or something. <laughs> right. You're a, frequent, you're a frequent guest. You're here all the time. Got a lot of great things to share. And I don't know. Everybody knows you so well by now. Um, Fantastic. Just I like get right it. I'll to tell it. my husband that and my kids. They'll think I'm famous. Yeah, definitely let them know uh, that, that you're the boss now. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about college visits today. Um, I, want, I want to talk a little bit about how students of different ages might get meaning out of a college visit at this time of year. And I, I think we'll probably spend most of our time talking about 11th graders who are applying to colleges this fall. But I do want to acknowledge that there might be some seniors out there. They're looking at schools this spring, maybe visiting some where they've gotten in or, or looking at some other visits. And I, and there are also probably some sophomores who are thinking about getting an early start on the college process. So let's start with the oldest group. Um, do you have any thoughts about how seniors might use visits wisely over the next two months between now and, and sort of May 1st? So I think it some depends on whether they've been admitted or not. Um, you know, if you've been admitted, say, um, early decision, like you're going, right? So you look at a right. college visit with that lens of that's my new home, and you might be doing, you know, looking at it in that specific way, you know, thinking more about dorm selection and activities and things like that. If you are in a school, though, um, where it's still up in the air where you may attend, so maybe you got into an early action school or a rolling um, admissions kind of school, you know, I do think schools can look differently on a visit when you know you've been admitted, right? It goes from being a hypothetical to a legit possibility, right? This could be. It's not, well, maybe one day. It's, nope, that could in five months be where I live or six, seven, seven months. Um, and so I do think you see it with a different lens, which is sometimes why I do really encourage students to go back and look at a college, especially if they're not 100% clear on where they'd like to attend, um, because, again, schools can look. Again, you have a different vibe. You look, at, you look at it through a different lens this way. So I think if you are, um, and I don't know if you want me to, you know, pretend kids already know where they're admitted for all of these, but, you know, a, a lot of times for a senior um, later on, if they're deciding between two schools, they really can't decide. I really encourage another visit. A lot of colleges put out kind of more bells and whistles for seniors, right? So for yeah. admitted student days, which may be getting ahead of myself, maybe you're talking about that on another program later on, so please feel free to stop me if I'm getting ahead of myself. But um, I think an overnight visit, for example, um, is great, right? This is is now legit. You are in a dorm. You are with um, people who attend this institution. Um, You can go see what they do on a Friday night or a Saturday night. And, you know, is everybody at the library? Is it super quiet? Is everybody at the fraternity houses? Is everybody at a football game? You know, we're... Where is, you know, the social scene, which can sometimes be a hard thing to gauge, especially if you've never been on campus before, um, and get the pulse of, you know, what is, is everybody here friendly? Like, is everybody in the hallway? Is everybody got closed doors? Um, So a lot of the things you're looking for as a junior, but now, again, have become even more important, and kind of that student culture piece, you know, you probably knew you know, whether they had your major and the size and all those things if you visited before. But now you're really looking for, are these kind of my people? Is this, are these the people I want to hang out with for the next four right. years of my life? Do I mind that it's snowing on my student visit in April, right, which it did um, when, you know, when I went to school in Northwest Indiana? <laughs> uh, you know, can I deal with that for the next four years? Um, so you're looking for a little bit maybe more depth than you were the first time and really kind of trying to listen to your gut. I I think that's good advice at any age. I think it's imperative 
as a senior. Yeah, I would I would totally agree with that. And I think that you're mentioning that you know sort of what to look for, but there's also a degree to which the students you talk to and the office you talk to, they're excited to have conversations with you because you're no longer a prospective student. Now you're an admitted student. And so the possibility that you'll be a peer of theirs the coming year is higher. And they're more willing to show you things around the school and be honest with you and sort of share what that experience is. So you want to leverage that. Um, I also think that You've done a great job of sort of identifying the the value of early action to some degree, which is a lot of students are in a dead period right now where they have not heard from colleges. But if you've heard from an early action school, you can use this opportunity to go and visit that school while you wait to hear back from other regular decision schools. Uh, so so be smart about that timeline. Um, I do. I wonder, do, and I would I would also add too about the accepted student receptions. If they offer one, I think that's a great thing to take advantage of if you can make it. Because like I said, a lot of times they'll bring out the bells and whistles that they didn't offer on right. your basic tour. So maybe now you can actually go see a dorm, right, or a few. They may have department heads from all of the major. You know, if there's different colleges or different majors come out um, to talk with you. There may be you know access to labs or you know whatever the case may be that may not have been on the docket for your general run-of-the-mill visit that is now available. So, again, I think if that's on the table for a senior, they, uh, if they can make it, they should do it. Let's say we've got a senior who applied to Georgetown, where you used to work, and you're, you're now advising this student, and she got deferred in early, and her family is thinking about a trip to Georgetown to have a look sometime in the next month. Is that something you would advise that they do or would you advise that they wait to hear back? Um, is there a, a disadvantage to going to visit a school where you haven't heard yet? What, what's your take on that? And the assumption under this is that they've never been on campus before? Never been on campus before. It's a place that you've applied, you're interested, but you haven't had a chance to visit. So I, without having given it a ton of thought, my knee jerk there is if it's a school you think you have a definite uh, or at least a decent chance of getting into, and is a school where you really think you would legitimately have a potential to enroll, I don't think it hurts to visit now, especially if now is an easier, better, more likely possible time for you to go, right? If you're like, eh, April, May is going to be crazy. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get on these campuses, you know, that month of April, because really your, your window of knowing that you've gotten in before you have to deposit is very small. It's really the month of April. Um, and for most people. And so if you think, you know what, April is not great for us, this may be the only chance I get, then you should absolutely go to any school if you can, if you can muster it. That's great. Um, I think, you know, it's a little harder for me at a place like Georgetown where, um, you know, the odds are never in your favor that you're going to get in. So, you know, I'm less inclined to push on that one just because, again, I think, you know, it's like, um, I don't know. I can't think of a good analogy at the moment. But, um, you know, so I think if it's, if it's a school you know it's in your kind of your target range or your safety range and you haven't been there, then, yeah, I think I would because this may be on your table. This may be one of your options, and it may be one of your better options. You, you don't know how those cards are going to play. If it's a reach, yeah. like a Georgetown is for everybody or, you know, another school, whatever that school is for you, if that's a reach, I think you could probably make a good argument on either side. You know, I hesitate to say go visit because I hate for you to now fall in love with it even more only to find out in two months you're not going to get in. That's kind of right. not you got to know yourself a little um, bit, right? got to know so, how you'll react but, you know, to But that. I think if you're there and you're, you know, you're in D.C. anyway and it's an, you know, it's an easy drop-in, then, I, you know, sure, go for it. Okay. All right. I, the, the only thing I would add to that is if you're thinking about visiting sometime in March, 
um, and you're a senior and you don't know if you're going to get in or not, you might call and just ask when decisions are going to be released and that you're thinking about visiting. Um, and they might tell you, you might not want to, you might want to wait an extra week or two uh, rather than being on campus just before decisions come out. Um, all right, enough about seniors. They got in our attention for the better part of a year. Um, let's, let's talk about juniors instead. Um, this is probably the age where I think visits become most important. They become most frequent. Uh, it's a different kind of visit as you alluded to, uh, when you were talking about what seniors can do that's different from juniors and often parents use spring break as a time to go make a big push to see schools. Um, I, I wrote a pretty lengthy blog post about visiting schools out of state, which our listeners can read at studentuniverse.com or on our blog at blog.getintocollege.com. Uh, but they don't know what you think, Karen, because they probably haven't seen a blog post that you've written that I know of. Uh, so let's imagine we've got a family in your office. They want to take a college trip this spring. They want to go out of state. They don't know where to begin. So how do you get them started thinking about where they should go uh, and how to learn about schools with visits? So this is a big one, and this is what I spend like four months with in my students in my office, so I'll try to encapsulate that in five minutes. Uh, Perfect. <laughs> first of all, the one thing I want to say is that I think student uh, visits to college campuses is one of, if not the most important thing you can do for your student as a parent. Um, I cannot emphasize this enough. There is no replacement for the college visit, period. Okay? Now, I realize for some people this is not... You know, if you live in Massachusetts, you may not be able to go visit a school in California. And that's fine. That's not quite what I'm saying. If you can, you should. But if that is not either uh, fiscally possible, if that is not because you play year-round baseball and your coach will not let you play, if you miss more than two days of, you know, practice or whatever. But if you live within five hours, particularly, of, of some campuses that you're looking at, um, you need to find time to go visit them. Like, this needs to be a priority. A lot of times people will say, oh, I'm so busy. And I'm like, I know, but this is the next four years of your life, and your parents are likely paying a lot of money for this. Like, why would you not do this? Why would you not prioritize this choice? So first, let me emphasize this strongly. Um, the second thing I would think of is to start doing some preemptive work on the Internet, on, in a book, whatever the case may be. You know, go look up some colleges um, and Ian can, you know, uh, say what his favorite websites are. You know, I love the Princeton Review's best 380 colleges for some students. Um, you know, if you're looking at relatively a little selective and higher kind of colleges, um, I think it's the best review of student culture. Um, that also means I'm a dinosaur because I just recommended the book, and I can hear Ian snickering. Um, I used so the book I when, I was, uh, when I was in high school. I going to recommend because it's kind of like that version of the book, only online. Um, you know, I think you want to see, like, when you read, you know, what you read, like, do you think, oh, yeah, that sounds like me, or you're like, eh, meh. Are like, ooh, interesting, right? I think you want to start looking at see what do you say, ooh, interesting to, and, and, and what patterns are there? Um, an assignment I make all of my students do is we evaluate 10 schools at a time, and I may, depending on the student and how focused they are, give 10 really different kinds of schools or 10 that I think fit a certain pattern and, and see what keeps coming up repeatedly. Because I always say colleges are kind of like ice cream flavors, right? You want to kind of figure out what your flavor profile is because most kids have one, right? So I live here in the Mid-Atlantic. If someone tells me they like um, UVA, I say, okay, if you like UVA and I think you're qualified, you know, to even have that on your list, then I say, if here's, you know, you might want to go visit Wake Forest. You might want to go visit Vanderbilt. You might want to go visit UNC. These have similar flavor profiles, um, perhaps, to why you like UVA, right? 
And you can fill in the blank with whatever that flavor profile is. You like small. You like small and religious. You like small religious in New Jersey, right? Like start start figuring out what your flavor profile looks like before you, you know, put gas in the car or buy an expensive plane ticket so that your visits so are targeted. I don't love, you know, families who are like, we visited 20 colleges. And I think, I'm not totally sure that was probably the best use of your time. I'd rather you had done a lot of preemptive work to say, okay, I've looked at a lot of colleges and these four, these eight, whatever the, you know, ten, really seem to speak to me, at least on paper, and now I'm going to go see if they speak to me when I'm actually standing on campus, right? Um, it's kind of, I've said this analogy a lot before, right? It's like going on a date. It's, you want to look at least someone's match.com portfolio before you go on a date, right? Because if you look at them and you think, that is not the kind of, you know, that's not my type, I'm not attracted to this person, or I read their profile, and boy, does that guy sound dull, or, you know, arrogant, or, you know, something about what you've read, you think, I want to go on a date with this person. I might be wrong, and that's the forfeit you risk by not going on a date, but you can't date everybody, same thing, you can't visit every college in America. So, do your research, do your, you know, your figuring out what's important to you, what speaks to you, and then make your list based on that. Um, decide how much you can really reasonably do. I don't generally suggest more than two colleges in a day, even if technically you can visit oh. three in a day. Um, yeah. I think two in a day is sometimes even more than enough. Um, and that's where, right where I would start is, is, you know, decide what is important to you and start to narrow your list down that way, be that geography, size, culture, um, you know, do they have biomedical engineering, you know, whatever that is. Yeah, one of the things that I wrote about in the blog entry about visiting schools was to, um, if you have some time this point in your junior year, maybe with three days, you don't want to go visit the one school that you want to see that's in the middle of nowhere because of the travel time that's required to get there. And then at the stage at which you want to look at a, a range of different options, you might find an anchor in a school that you really love and then look for other schools in a similar vicinity that you can also visit at the same time. So if you say, you know, I'm really interested in UCLA, um, that's a great reason to go see USC and maybe have a look at LMU or Chapman. And now you've got four schools on your list. But if you're really interested in Grinnell, you're not going to be able to go see Grinnell and then also see three other schools on the same trip just because of the nature of that location. So keep in mind that if you're doing a longer visit over the course of a couple of days, that it might be better to hit a variety of different schools rather than aiming for that one institution that's your top choice. You can probably see that in the fall of your, your senior year. Um, any other tips that you would say about just like the mechanics of a visit? Uh, like I encourage students always to bring a notepad and actually write hard copy of notes on a piece of paper after they're done with their visit. Do you have any sort of tips like that? Yeah, so a few things. One, I also take pictures on your phone. I'm sure every teenager I feel like has a phone or at least have your parents take it on their phone. Yeah. Um, some people are visual, right? Like visual cues are going to remind you because when you're writing an essay, which and I totally agree, taking notes after a tour is also important because one of the most common essay questions is why are you interested in this college? And they're looking for a specific answer. And it may be hard to remember in, say, August or September when you're writing this essay what it is you liked back in March. You you might forget that. So I think the, the visual reminders from the phone and the pictures as well as the written cues that you've written for yourself would be helpful. And, you know, write down even the minutiae. I loved that there was a Sunday bar in the cafeteria. Great. I loved that everybody was playing Frisbee on a sunny day and that everybody seemed to be outdoors. It kind of gave me that outdoorsy vibe that's super important to me. 
great, write that down. Um, that's going to be great in your essay one point, um, should you need to write it. Um, the other thing I always say and I emphasize a lot is do the official tour and the official information session if possible. Like, if you're on vacation mm-hmm. in Florida and you're driving through and you just want to drive around FSU and there's not a visit, fine, go do that. But generally speaking, if this is kind of a planned event, you want to do the official tour, you want to do the official um, visit, a few things is, one, you're going to learn way more that way than you are just kind of wandering around campus. Um, so I would 100% encourage that. But also, especially at smaller liberal arts schools, these are schools that often track interest, meaning they pay attention to how much attention you pay to them. Um, and so when I worked at Franklin and Marshall College, which is a small liberal arts college in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and is surrounded by about a bazillion other small liberal arts colleges about every five minutes, um, we paid a lot of attention if you had been on campus. And if you hadn't, um, if you hadn't signed in at the desk, like when they say sign in here, you want to sign in here. So that's how we know you've been there. Because if you hadn't visited, and especially if you lived, you know, within four or five hours driving distance, um, we thought you probably weren't that interested, and often we're going to wait list you um, because we didn't think you had any interest in coming. Um, so definitely do the official visit and sign in. Yeah, and I think that that's a nice sort of segue to just the last little note that I would say because we're just about out of time. But if you're a sophomore, it is okay to do the drive through campus, um, to not do the official visit, to sort of get a feel for the flavor profile that Karen was describing. You know, you're not necessarily looking at, is this college for me? You're doing a little bit more of what is college like? What does it feel like? What's happening here? Um, how does a big college feel differently from a small college? Who can I talk to to sort of get a sense of, of what this experience is? But you're thinking more in sort of broad terms as a sophomore than more specific research-based terms when you're a junior and then as a senior finally saying, is this the place for me? Totally all right, Karen. Agree. Great. Um, that's all we've got for visits. Um, all right. I think it's going to smow here. All right. Well, nice talking tomorrow. with you, Ian. And we might have another snow day tomorrow, so we don't I, I your hope you'll keep you me in your, your prayers. Oh, you in, or, in Portland, you may. Yeah, we have no snow forecast for the week. Yeah, it's going to be Thank terrible. God. Um, well, good for you. Um, thanks a lot, <laughs> <laughs> folks. We're going to be talking financial aid appeals when we come back, so don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Are you finding your frequency? 
It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. My next guest is one of our very bright, very talented financial aid experts, but she also has a huge hand in our social media footprint and as manager of our blog. Shannon Vasconcelos, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ian. Happy to be here. Wonderful. So before we get to the topic of the day, I wonder if there's anything you'd like to plug on our social media or our blog. They're they're great resources, terrific content. You know those things even better than I do. So uh, anything in, in particular you want to call our listeners' attention to? Um, you've Give us a like on Facebook. Everything that we produce at College Coach goes out on our Facebook page, and there is tons of great kind of insider tips and tricks from from real former college admissions um, officers and financial aid officers. Um, So give us a like on Facebook. We're on Twitter, at CollegeCoachBH is our handle. Also on Pinterest, same handle, at CollegeCoachBH. We're a division of Bright Horizons. That's where the the BH is coming from. Um, We've got an awesome, awesome blog, um, really, really in-depth articles about, again, the college admissions and finance processes, again, from insiders who really kind of know how this stuff works on the college's end. So um, so we can really provide that nice perspective. So our blog is um, blog.getintocollege.com. Pretty simple to remember. Um, so check us out. Yeah, we've got contests going on on our Facebook page, lots of fun stuff. So, yeah, check us out. We're all over social media, YouTube or there. Yeah. Wherever you're at on social media, you can find us there. We're on all the medias. Um, right, all right, exactly. <laughs> uh, let's get to the task at hand. We want to talk about financial aid appeals today. And it would seem that if we're already in a position where we're talking about appealing financial aid, things maybe aren't going great. Uh, we've gotten less money than we'd hoped or less money we expected based on our EFC. Uh, but let's start with something even more simple. Back it up. What is a financial aid appeal? Let's make sure that I understand the basic part, right? Yeah, so it's basically going back to the financial aid offices at the colleges where you've applied and asking for reconsideration of a financial aid offer based on some sort of special financial circumstances that that you've got going on. There's something going on in your finances that wasn't really reflected on the FAFSA form that you filled out to apply for financial aid. Um, the, The FAFSA form has this intimidating reputation, but in fact, it actually asks very, very few questions about your finances. Um, it's, you know, what's your adjusted gross income? What kind of money do you have in the bank? And honestly, not a heck of a lot more than that. So obviously, that's 
going to not tell the whole story for a lot of families. So if you've got stuff going on in your finances that wasn't reflected on the FAFSA, you can always go back to the financial aid offices and ask them to reconsider their financial aid offer based on your special circumstances. Every financial aid office has that discretion to consider special circumstances. So, again, if the FAFSA doesn't tell the whole story for you, don't hesitate to go back. If you don't like the the look of your financial aid offer, you don't have to take a school's first offer. Go back, ask for more. There's no downside to doing so. They're not going to take away money that they already gave you because you've asked for more. Um, Gotcha. Always ask for more. So what are some reasons that you typically saw or that are are currently pretty common uh, for reasons that people would actually appeal their financial aid offer? Yeah, so a lot of the the reasons for appeal stem from the fact that the FAFSA is asking about your income from two years back. It's sort of out of date. Um, So if you've lost your job since the year that you were, so just for an example, the seniors who are currently applying for a financial aid who have just applied, it was asking about their 2015 income. Um, So if you have lost your job since 2015, obviously the FAFSA is going to bear very little resemblance to your current reality. So if you've lost a job, had a pay cut, that's a big reason to go back and appeal a financial aid offer. Um, For folks in divorce situations, if you reported receiving child support on your FAFSA, um, but that child support is ending very soon, it sometimes ends when the child turns 18 or graduates from high school, your your income kind of looks higher than, than it will be in the very near future. That's a good reason to appeal a financial aid offer. If you, you know, cashed in stocks in 2015 or you had some unusually high bonus, you took a withdrawal from your IRA, all of those things make your income look bigger than it currently is. Those are great reasons to go back and appeal a financial aid offer. Um, If you've got very high sort of non-discretionary expenses, which, again, they don't ask you about on the FAFSA. So if you have high medical expenses, if you as a parent are still paying back your own student loans, perhaps, um, if you're paying for um, one of the student's younger siblings to attend a private elementary or high school, that can be a reason to go back and appeal a financial aid offer. If you are supporting elderly relatives, you're sending money overseas to support extended family. Those are all things that really affect your your financial circumstances, your ability to pay for college, but they are not asked about on the financial aid applications typically at all. Um, so you have to take the, the effort on your end to go back and ask the financial aid offices to consider those circumstances. So usually when I get... Um a bill or a tax document or something else. I just put it aside. I'm like, I don't want to deal with this right now. Um, I think that's fairly common. But uh, what, is there some important timing that's associated with this appeal? Is there a reason for me not yeah. to just sort of put it in the pile and stack at the bottom of the mail? Or, or uh, how, should I, how should I time this, this financial aid appeal? Yeah, and in fact, I think there's, there's actually kind of two good times to, to approach the financial aid office. Um, and, and in some circumstances, you may want to actually go back twice. So I generally recommend with the families that I'm working with that if they have special circumstances like the things that I just discussed. Oh, and by the way, just to put in another social media bo- uh, plug, uh, I did actually write a blog post about financial aid appeals that went up last week. So again, go to blog.getintocollege.com and you can find more details there and some more circumstances um, that might warrant an nice. appeal. 
But if you have any of these special circumstances, um, let the financial aid offices know at the time you're actually applying for aid. So when you're filling out the FAFSA form, um, send in a letter to the aid offices, then let them know about these special circumstances. And you hope that they will take your circumstances into account right up front and send you a nice, great big financial aid offer um, right from the beginning. From my experience, though, in an aid office, um, I have learned that sometimes aid offices will not take your special circumstances into account up front. They'll sort of try to get away with giving you as little financial aid as possible. Um, Sometimes families would write to me with these circumstances. I would take them to my boss and say, hey, can we consider this? And my boss may say, no, just do the straight regular calculation up front, and if it's not enough for them, they'll appeal. Um, so just so you know that this attitude sometimes exists in aid offices where they won't take your circumstances into account up front. They'll try and get away with giving you as little aid as possible. But then if you go back to them on the back end after you've received all of your financial aid offers, go back to the aid offices at that point and say, hey, remember me? I had these special circumstances, uh, and I'd really love to attend your school, but uh, I can't do it based on this current award. Is there anything else you can do? At that point, they may have greater incentive to to take your circumstances into account and, and increase that financial aid offer. So my general recommendation, for so for those of you with seniors who are li- listening now and you're just applying for financial aid or just recently you haven't received an offer yet, if you've got any of these circumstances, I'd let the aid offices know right now. But then if you don't like the look of the award that they send you, don't hesitate to go back again a second time on the back end and ask them to reconsider. Gotcha. So so the reconsidering is the actual submission of the appeal. Um, right. And is there a standard process for this? Is it just a matter of writing a letter? Um, what kind of documentation might I need to include to make sure that my appeal is successful or to increase the chances that my appeal is successful? Yeah. So uh, certain schools might have a specific form that they want you to fill out, so it wouldn't hurt to check the school's website to see if they detail any appeal process. Usually it is simply writing a letter, explaining your circumstances. You send the letter to the financial aid office at the school. Um, The financial aid offices love very specific facts and figures. They love documentation. So you don't just write a letter and say, hey, I lost my job. Could you reconsider my aid package? You say, you know, I lost my job as of this date. I received a severance package of X amount. Uh, I am currently unemployed. I'm receiving unemployment compensation of Y amount. Um, Here is the documentation. Here's my termination letter. Here is the the documentation of my severance package. Here is the uh, pay stub for my unemployment compensation. Um, Really give them any kind of documentation. They love really detailed. They need numbers to to wrap their brains around and to plug into their formula. So if it's high medical expenses, you give them receipts from the hospitals and the doctor bills and the treatment um, bills. Um, So you document anything that you can. The the financial aid offices love facts, figures, documentation. Um, If you're very vague in your appeal, there's not much that they can do with that. So be as specific as possible. Gotcha. I mean, I think that all makes sense, right? I mean, anytime we're dealing with finances, 
We want to be in a position where there's documentation that's attached, where we can justify the requests that we're making. Um, exactly. I mean, that, that all makes sense, <laughs> especially yep. when you're dealing with, with the, the amount of money that goes into the cost of college. Um, exactly. When we talk about financial aid appeals, that seems to me to be something that is connected largely to need-based financial aid. I mean, we're talking about the FAFSA, uh, maybe the profiles involved in some cases, but this right. is not the language that we would use um, around merit aid or recruitment scholarships. Um, is, it, is that right? It, typically, that, that's correct. When we're talking about appeals, we're typically talking about need-based aid, where you have special financial circumstances to justify asking for reconsideration. Um, you can, however, you don't, you, I should say, you don't have to accept a school's first merit aid offer either, though. You can always go back to a school and request more merit aid. Um, we typically, here at College Coach, we refer to that not as an appeal, but as a negotiation, because that's exactly what it is. You know, you'd like to attend this school but you want some more money, they'd like for you to attend, but they don't want to give you as much money, you negotiate it. Um, And we probably don't have time to get into the negotiation process now, but we're actually one of our colleagues, Ian, is going to be guesting on the show in a couple of weeks. I believe it's the the February 23rd episode. That's when it airs live. Um, There's going to be a whole segment on scholarship negotiation. So I definitely recommend folks tune into that episode um, to get all the details on how to go back and negotiate a merit aid offer as opposed to the need-based aid. Now, sometimes some appeals um, you know, have both going on. Some people get both merit aid and need-based aid. Um, sometimes they, they've got a merit scholarship, but they also have some special financial circumstances going on. So there's not you know, a strict delineation between the two processes. Sometimes it is a combination of the two. Um, typically, when you're dealing with merit aid, you're working with the admissions office, and for right. need-based aid, it's the financial aid office. If you've got both going on, wouldn't hesitate to send a negotiation letter to both offices. You never know which one may be able to help you out more. And then behind the scenes, there's going to be conversation between those two offices, right? I mean, you, your financial aid is going to talk to admission about the appeal, and admission may be talking to financial aid about negotiation, or do they keep that entirely separate? Uh, it depends on, on the situation. There, there may be instances, and certainly when I was in an aid office, probably most of the time considering appeals, we didn't have to talk to the admissions office, um, but we always kind of had the information from admissions about how badly the admissions office wanted to recruit this particular student. So if this was one of the top students applying to the school where I worked, Um, maybe we would want to be a little bit more generous on that appeal as opposed to if this student could barely get into the school, we didn't care so much about enrolling them, maybe we wouldn't be as inclined to be so generous. Um, And certainly it can work on the flip side if if you're going back to the admissions office asking for more merit aid, they may talk to the financial aid office about whether there may be any um, need-based aid possibilities or not. If they find out there is no need-based aid possibilities, they know it's kind of totally in their hands. If we want the student to come, it's going to have to be through more merit aid. Perfect. That's great. So that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank you, Shannon, for joining us to talk about appeals. And a big thank you for not mentioning the Patriots at all on today's show. I know it's uh, really hard for you. And uh, I want to thank you for that. It was tough. I'll throw in a go pass for the record. I I guess I'm asking for it. 
Um, <laughs> next week is a great episode for our parents because we're going to be discussing the ways parents can best support children in the college admission process. And we'll also be delving into the crazy mixed up world of the National Merit Scholarship. I got a preview of this topic at our annual team retreat a couple of weeks ago, and it was fascinating. Uh, join us to find out the ways in which the National Merit Program might not be all it's cracked up to be. That's a little teaser for you. Um, until next week, stay warm, keep your head up, and take some time to connect with those you love. Have a great weekend. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 